whether you are house hunting for a need of a house or it's just one of your hobbies to look around at what's out on the market or you want to go all Chip and Joanna Gaines and flip a home. You began to look on Zillow or Realtor.com and look at all the houses in the area. What you begin to notice is that some homes are presented well with pictures and video. Uh, From the front yard to the backyard to every room that's in the house, several photos. And then there are other houses that have very few pictures with them, maybe two or three. Maybe a good price on the home, but not much to show in the home. And so it leads one to wonder, why are they not showing us all the rooms in the house? And what's missing? And that's an important question to ask yourself. If you're looking for a home to go to, what are we not seeing? What doors are closed? And this can also go for when you have guests over and there's that certain room in your house. You know what I'm talking about. You open the door and you push everything that you can into that room. All the kids' toys, I mean, stacked high. It's dangerous to open that door again. Why? Because when people come in, you want them to see the absolute best of your home. You don't want them to see every room, but only what you think is important for them to see. And this doesn't just go for homes. This doesn't go for house hunting. This also is prevalent in our lives. This is how we present ourselves. We present ourselves to other people. We only let them see what we want them to see. Only the exterior, whether it be in our work or in how we serve in the community or how we may be outwardly with our family. But only very few know who you are behind those closed doors. And there's only one who knows fully what's completely in the house or what's not in the house. And that's God. And when we come to this passage today, that's, that's a picture of what we see. Paul is saying, you are going to external things, the law, and you are trying to present yourself well, but the law is weak and it's worthless, and it's not going to be able to clean up the mess of sin that has invaded every room of your house, every part of your life. And so it's, it's worthless, it's, it's weak, it's external. You're expecting external things to change you internally. And you know, we all do this. And we're gonna look at that today as we uh, look deeper into this passage. It's gonna be a kind of a two-part series here as we've jumped back into Galatians. Uh, we took a break during the summer uh, and we studied the fruit of the Spirit, which indeed is in Galatians chapter five. Um, We studied the nine different attributes of the fruit, and it was a great time together in the Word this summer. Now we're jumping back into Galatians chapter 4 in verse 8. And so as we continue on, let me update us on where we were when we closed out before the summer. We were in Galatians 4, 1 through 7, and, and the emphasis we saw there is that we are children of God. We have been adopted into the family. We are sons. We're his. And we made it very clear that 
what is a lie, what is false, is when you hear somebody say, we are all children of God. And maybe you believe that today. Maybe you walked in here thinking, yeah, that's right. I mean, we're all children, right? He created us. But Paul is very clear. He's saying the only children of God, those who are sons are those who have been adopted into his family through Christ Jesus. And he lays that out. He says, you are heirs. And now you are together. We are together in Christ Jesus. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So God has done this great work of salvation, making you his very own. You are now in the family. And so don't go after the law. Don't don't go after legalism, but rejoice in the grace that has been extended to you. And then that's when we pick up in verse 8. And so the first question, or the main question I have for you for this week and next week as we're together in the word here. Is this Christ being formed in you? Is Christ being formed in you? This is the work that has happened in your life, and is it happening in your life today? You know, we're, we're, we're very good about saying, hey, I came to know Christ, and, and we can name a time when we became Christ followers. And that's great. We can name a season of when we became Christ followers. Excellent. But it didn't stop there, did it? It must continue on. There's a work of Christ being formed in you while you remain here on this earth. And so the first point we're going to look at, we're only going to look at one point today. I know, amazing, right? Just one. Here it is. Christ is formed in us as we move beyond our former days. Christ is formed in us as we move beyond our former days. If you will, look in this passage again, verses 8 through 11, okay? Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. He says, formally, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. They had a former way of life, a former way of life before grace was ushered in into Galatia through the power of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the word. And then there was a change. But before that, they had a former way of life. And like the Galatians, we as Christians all have a former way of life, don't we? We have our old days. Maybe you speak of them often, or maybe you don't speak of them at all. Maybe you're highly ashamed of things you did in the past. Or it could be that you really still don't think that your past was that bad before coming to know Christ. But what is most sure is that we have former days before following Jesus. Former days where we were filled with the flesh and absent of the Holy Spirit. There was no grace of God working in us. It was all our human efforts. And man, we were trying. We were trying to do good. We we could even say that, man, I want to do good, but we were powerless to do just that. We could do no good before God the Father. It's when we did not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so 
I believe for every Christian in this room, every professing Christian, you could stand up and give testimony and say, this is who I was before following Jesus. And you could probably make most of your testimony about that. I mean, you could go on and on and on about who you used to be before Jesus. Paul's saying in your former days, but he doesn't stop there. Shockingly, Paul goes further and says, when you did not know God. So he's reminding him, before he said, you're, you're children of God, you're now adopted into his family, and, and there were former ways that you're turning back to, but remember, your former days when you did not know God. That's strange for us, isn't it? As we sit here today and, and we're talking about the word and you're going, wow, okay, surely he didn't mean that they didn't know who God was. I mean, in America, even if you don't believe in God, if you're an atheist, proclaiming atheist, or, or if you're agnostic, you can at least go along with the narrative of who God is. I mean, he's big, he's powerful, he knows a lot. He's a God of love, he's a God of wrath. Not quite sure how those two may go together. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? I mean, you can go on about who God is or who you think God is. And so you'd say, yeah, I know God. I know of God. I don't, I may not follow him, but I know him. I know him. But Paul is right. In our former days, just like those of the Galatians, before following Christ, we did not know God. We did not know God. You think, well, I sure have heard of God my whole life. I've, I've, I've read Bible stories of who God is. But what we do before following Christ is we kind of put together and piece together who we think God is. And that's who we put our worship towards. It's not really God, but it's who we want God to be. And that changes when the grace of God is poured into our hearts. And he is reminding them, you didn't know God. And then he continues, he says, because and you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. Our minds, our thinking, we're enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So really, what is Paul talking about? What is he going on and on about in this moment? Saying you, you didn't know you were enslaved to these other little gods, little G-O-D-S. Are they even real? And I mean, he treats them as they're real. He speaks as if there are other gods. But what he is speaking of is the demonic influence upon man. He's saying, in your former days, you worshiped many gods, many created gods that simply have no saving power or ability to rescue us from sin. And that's what you did. You, you created one little idol and then you created another idol and then you fashioned for yourself another idol and you worshiped these things. And these were gods. This was religion for you. So what can we learn here at this moment? Well, one thing we can learn is that just to have some type of religious influence is not honoring to God. Just to be religious does not honor God. So if you were to engage somebody in conversation and you were to ask them, are you a Christ follower? And they may respond by saying, no, I'm not a Christ follower, but you know what? I sure do pray to God a lot. I pray. I pray all the time. 
Man, I pray for my family. I pray for my friends. I pray for what's going on at work. I sure do pray. Or, you know what? I'm not really one for prayer. I'm not really one for reading scripture. But what I have is a deep meditation, a clearing my mind every morning when I wake up. And I just have some peace and quiet and I just reflect. What do you focus on? Nothing really. I just focus. That makes no sense, by the way. But for a lot of people, they've made sense of it. It's just a clearing of the mind, a focusing on nothing. Or you may go on spiritual walks. You say, I don't, I don't really go to the local church. I don't you know, really uh, engage in spiritual conversations, but I'll go on a spiritual journey. I love to hike. I love to walk in the wilderness. I love to see God when the sun rises. Yeah, that's good. That, that's how I worship. Well, what about the Bible? What about what God's word says? Do you love to worship that way? No, I'm not really. I, I, I kind of like to picture God. What's that doing? You're making this, um, uh, what do you call that thing? That pinata you hit, right? Okay, and, and you, you get the glue and you get, I did not write this down, so that's why I'm struggling here, right? You, you get the newspaper and you paste it all together. Pinata, right? And, and here's what you do. When that doesn't work for you, oh, this just got good. Well, you get the stick and you begin to hit it. You want to bust it open because you get frustrated. You get frustrated with the God you've created. And you say, that's where you were. That's where you were. These gods, you're not a God. But you thought, because you had some type of religion, that you were good. Parents, can I encourage you with this, that you need to point your children to Jesus Christ. Don't just settle for them having some type of spirituality because that's not honoring to God. To say that you have a spirituality that's honoring to God and you meditate and you think of nothing, that's not glorifying to God. Oh, there's more than nothing that we can fix our eyes on. It is Jesus Christ who created all things. That's who we need to be looking to. And that's what Paul is saying. This religious influence was not honoring to God. And anyone with this mindset is under demonic influence. Now, this may wig you out a little bit when we start talking about demonic influence and, and the attack of Satan, and you're going, is that still real? Oh, it's still very real, still very real. In fact, Paul says he, he, or Peter says he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That doesn't sound like a friend, okay? He's not friendly. No, he wants to destroy you. And in 844 of, of John, Jesus is speaking to a crowd and he says, you are of your father, the devil. And so if you are not in Christ Jesus, you are of the father, your devil, the devil. And so with all of this in mind, he says, but now that you have come to know God. So here's who you were formerly. That's your former way of heathenism. And now you have come to know God. So the question we ask here is, how did they come to know God if indeed they did not know God? So if they have no knowledge of him, how do they now know him? What, what happened? And, and Paul answered this when he was writing to the Romans. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So how did they know about God? How did they learn about God? Well, here's how they learned about God. Paul marched his beautiful feet into Galatia. And he began to teach them and preach to them the good news of Jesus Christ, introducing them to the one who created them and the only one that could save them from their wretched sins. Paul was sent. He spent time with them. He labored. He preached to them the good news. That's how they know God. But not only did they come to know God, but I believe in this next statement, if we could if we could somehow see the original letter, maybe he would have written this with bigger words. And we know that at the end of the letter to the Galatians, he says, and I'll write in big words. I mean, we don't get that 3D effect when we read it in our, our copies today, but the original letter, I wonder if he wrote this next part in, in, in big words, just like if you were to go up to Washington and see the constitution and, and you could just see an original there. And you go, wow, that's something to behold. If we could behold this letter, I think we would, we would see this next statement written in big, bold words. Or rather, to be known by God. I mean, it wasn't enough that Paul would just say, hey, you, you've come to know God. So how could you turn back? But he doesn't stop there. He says, or rather, to be known by God. There is no greater gift that we can receive than to be known by God. There's no greater gift that we can receive than to be known by God. You know, we can say, yeah, I know such and such a person. I've met them before. You go, oh yeah, really, do they know you? Well, not really, no. But I mean, we had a conversation once. So I mean, maybe he would recognize my face if he saw me. And we name drop all the time, don't we? That's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying that, no, it's just not that God would see you and go, ah, I, I think I know that guy. I mean, he called upon me. Yeah, yeah, I know who he is. No, no. God is much better at knowing than we are. It's not that he just recognizes or knows who you are or is thankful that you called upon him for salvation. No, this word know in the Greek is gnosko, and it means this. It means intimate fellowship, intimate fellowship. Paul's saying you, you've come to know him or rather to be known by God, to enter into this intimate fellowship. You know him because you are known by him. That's what Paul is saying. That's how you know God. It's because he knows you. And, and this is important in its context because here they are going now to the law to do these works, what? To impress God. They say, well, no, 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 stop with this. He knows you. He knew you before you ever knew him. Stop with this law and trying to impress God. This Jesus plus law would equal greater Christianity. That's not it. In fact, we have come to know him on this earth, but he has known us before this earth ever existed. This is a sovereign God. And I want to read some passages to you that confirm this in Scripture. 
And these passages are not meant for controversy, but many times they spur controversy. There are key words there that spur controversy. They're not meant for controversy. They're meant for assurance. Like when God is speaking to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. When God is speaking to Jeremiah, he's going to send him to preach to the nations. And a lot of times we'll judge whether it's a good pastor or not, if anybody ever follows the message. Okay, well, if that's the case, then Jeremiah was terrible at it. All right. 40 years he preaches repentance and nobody follows. Man, for me and my pastor buddies and, and how we talk at times, I mean, there'd be a lot of depressed pastors if that was the case. But what was his confidence? It wasn't in the conversions. It wasn't in that people would follow. His confidence was that God knew him intimately before he was even born. But not only did he know him, but when did he set Jeremiah apart to go preach to the nations for the glory of God? When did he set him apart? Before he was even born. I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I wonder how many times Jeremiah would reflect back on that as he preached and as he prepared and as he preached and as he prepared and as he preached and nobody's listening and you feel like you're all alone and then you go, but he set me apart, not not when I came to know him on this earth, but before I was ever born, he set me apart to do this. There's this confidence being known by God. Galatians 1, 15 and 16, Paul referred to this in his defense of the gospel. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. What is Paul speaking of here? He's saying, hey, me too, Jeremiah, me too. He set me apart before I was born. Now, for much of my life, I was going against Christ until all of a sudden, boom, that changed on the road to Damascus. But all of this was set to happen before I was born. Who called me by his grace. And there it is. There is that word grace. Not having any human effort or work in and of itself. Paul is trying to demolish this idea that man has somehow contributed to this wonderful salvation by God. Why? Because this would be the confidence needed when they meet opposition, when they meet rejection. And you say, well, okay, that works for Jeremiah. He was a prophet. That works for Paul. He was an apostle. But what about us, man? We're different, right? I mean, we're not special like those guys. No, we are indeed special like those guys. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, as Paul was writing to the church, he reminds them of this. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. What did the church in Ephesus need to know? They needed to know that this salvation was taking place long before they ever came to earth. This was a great work of grace before it's the foundations of this earth. And he's speaking to the church. 
And he's saying it is Jesus. And you've been predestined for this. Why? Why did they need to hear this? Couldn't Paul just leave this out and say, let's not go here because 2,000 years from now and even in between them, there's going to be a lot of controversy over these big words. No, he's telling them this for their confidence, for their hope, for knowing God. Romans 8, 29 and 30, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Confidence. This is confidence. When you, when you hear this and being foreknown and being intimately brought into a fellowship, what do you receive? You are conformed into the image of his son. Christ is being formed in you. And not only that, but you are justified. You are made right. Why? Because you have been called by God's grace. Something that was set apart before the foundations of the world. And then what greater confidence do we have in in hearing this? He continues on in Romans 8, 37 through 39. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Conquerors, not just conquerors, not able to win some battles at your best effort, but no, more than conquerors. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, what a promise, what a hope, what confidence that we have in being known by God. How many times have you sat around and going, am I truly a Christian? Am I truly saved? I mean, did I get all those words right? Did I get A, B, and then C right? Or did I do the confession before the admitting and believing? We do that. I sit down and talk with people all the time and they're going, "I, I, I think I'm a Christian. And I say, well, Where are you struggling? Well, I don't know if I said everything right back in that prayer thing. It's not about a prayer. It's about dying to yourself and following. It's about a good confession that Jesus is Lord. And what confidence do you have that once you make that good confession that you will always be in Christ Jesus is because only those who are known can make that good confession. And that may not settle well with you, but that is the whole picture that we see. There is confidence in this good confession. And Paul is saying, you know him and rather you have been known by God. So it's great that you have called upon him and you trust in him and you've been known by him. So here comes the next question. Follow through in this passage. How can you turn back? How can you turn back? If this is the good news which you heard and you gladly received, how can you turn back to weak and worthless elementary principles? This word weak carries with it the idea of no power and worthless carries with it no riches. So being known by God, you had all the power through Christ Jesus and being known by God, you had the greatest riches, your salvation. So now you're, you're going after legalism. You're going after works in order to ensure that God is pleased with you. And he says, that's worthless and weak. It's worthless and weak. That is not your motivation for obedience. 
Your motivation for obedience is his grace. Mark 8, 36 and 37 says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? There's nothing more that you can do in, in striving. Your soul has been secured by his grace. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life. Pause. If you were to go into the community and say, hey, what is eternal life? Probably what you're going to get by the majority of the people. And if I even stated it now, I wonder how many of you, if I were to just say, hey, what is eternal life? Would your first response be this right here? This is eternal life, that they know you. That they know you. Would that be your response to eternal life? Or would eternal life be all the great things that you want heaven to be? Well, man, I I hope heaven's fun. I hope heaven's not boring. You ever thought that? That God's just not going to be exciting for you? That heaven's going to be boring after a while? You're going to get tired of singing Amazing Grace? No. No because that's not what eternal life is about. Eternal life is this, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is eternal life. That is Jesus praying to the Father before he goes to the cross. The most intense moment that he has in prayer before going to the cross, he's bleeding sweat, or sweating blood. There we go, right? And I mean, he is, (laughs) yeah, all right? And, And it's intense, And he's going to the cross and he's saying, hey, eternal life. This is all about eternal life, God. All about eternal life, Father. And it is that they know you, that they know you and me whom you have sent. This is eternal life. And they were making it about something else. They were making it about their own works once again. C.S. Lewis it says this, maybe you've heard this quote before, I love it. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not strong enough, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And here they are making mud pies of legalism and they're missing out on the holiday at the sea and God's grace and enjoying his love and being a part of his family and calling him father because the Holy Spirit now leads or lives in them and is leading them to say, father, father, father. I did not recognize you as father before, but now I call upon you as father. And they've, they've put that aside and they've gone to mud pies, to weak and worthless elementary principles of whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. So at this point, what is now going on? What is Paul now saying? It's this, that the Christians in Galatia were once heathens. They had their false gods, and there were elementary principles, earth, wind, and fire, the basic elements of, of, of living on this earth, right? And they would make gods of those things, just like 
We make gods of things. We want pleasure, we have a God for that. We want peace, we can make a God for that. We want authority, we can make a God for that. And they had all their different gods in which they worshiped. And when that God wasn't working, they went to this God. And when that God wasn't working, they went to this God. I mean, even with the solar eclipse, did anybody know there is a solar eclipse tomorrow going on? Did not know that. Did not know that. I just wanted you to know just in case. But there are even theories that people have had through the years of what's going on with the solar eclipse and what's going on with the gods. Is there a battle going on with the sun god? No, man, it's just earth and the sun and here comes the moon. Shadow. That's what's happening. Don't, don't look at it. I don't know if you bought the glasses. If you did... Apparently, they got your money. I don't know, all right? But they made their own gods. They had their own way of living. And then the grace of God intervened. And they knew God. And that's the testimony of every follower of Jesus Christ, isn't it? That's my testimony. Brian, how do you know Christ? because of his grace. That's how I know him. Well, I wasn't even close to knowing him until he intervened. That's every testimony of a follower of Jesus Christ. And that was their testimony. But then what has happened? Now they've gone to legalism and and they're worshiping the law and Christ. They're putting these things together because people came in and said, no, you must be perfect in these things. Okay, you have Jesus, you got to be perfect in these things. You're going to be a better Christ follower doing this. Now adhere to these things. And Paul says, you've gone back. You haven't advanced. You haven't gone forward. You've gone back to where you were. A different type of worship, but still idolatry and still satanic wrapping themselves up in the observance of days and months and seasons and years, taking their eyes off the reality of the things that come, that being Jesus and turning them back to the shadows of the coming reality. So if I can give you this illustration, maybe this will help you to grasp the context of it. That uh, If you have a two-year-old who's about to have a party and you're sitting there on Amazon and you're clicking things, you go, oh, this would make a great gift and this would make a great gift and oh, they're gonna love this. I'm gonna get this. And then you get all the gifts in and you're so excited to wrap them in their different boxes. And then all of a sudden you have the party and I don't know, maybe they're too young for Ninja Turtles. I don't know what kind of theme you would have yet, but you'd, you'd, you'd have a, a birthday theme. You invite everybody, happy birthday to you. Oh, they blew out their candles by themselves this year. And it's exciting. And then you go, okay, time to open presents, everyone. And what does that little one going to do? He's going to start tearing open paper and, or or you're going to help her come along and you're going to help open the boxes. And then they're going to pick up the gift and they're going to smile and they're going to go, hmm, and they're going to put it aside. And then what are they going to do? They're going to go to the box. They're going to go to the box and they're going to go to the wrapping paper. And you're going, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, son. I picked that out. Like, I thought you'd love that. Hey, here. And you put it back in their hands. And they're like, ah, put it aside. And they go back to the box. They didn't get into the box. And they start acting like they're driving around like they're in a car and they're in a box. They play with it. They play with the gift wrapping paper. They get it all over the house, but it's fun to them. That is the gift for them. And you're going, no, 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 no. That's not what costs money. That costs money. Like enjoy this. And that's what was happening. 
the box and the gift wrapping paper that we see called the law was all pointing to Jesus. You say the greater one is to come. The greater one is to come. Yeah, you, you failed. Yes, you didn't honor your parents. You failed, okay? You deserve death, but something greater is coming. Jesus is coming. It's all pointing back. And then all of a sudden, at that time when God sends forth this son and he's born of a woman and God is come among us in the flesh, you open up the present and there's Jesus, the greatest gift. And this happened in Galatia. They opened the gift and there was Jesus and they rejoiced at the gift. And then Paul leaves and then all of a sudden they go, Jesus here. I want the box again. I want the wrapping paper. And we go, that's foolish. Why would you do that? I mean, that's just, that's just pointing to the gift that was inside Jesus. He's here. Enjoy the gift. Quit playing with the boxes and the wrapping paper. It's just a box. But you know what? You can make that box into whatever you want it to be. And many times, that's what we do in the name of Christianity. You just make Christianity whatever you want it to be. I do the same. I struggle with the same. And we do this by making religion fit into our ideals and lifestyle. There are certain things we don't like about Scripture, so you know what? We don't read it. We put it aside. There are certain things we don't like to hear when we have discussions, and we just do this right here. We close our ears, and we say, no, 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 don't want it. Why? Because I have an idea of what I want Christianity to be. And now the context here is they were laboring over religious rituals. And Paul says, I fear I've labored over you in vain. I fear I come to you and put all this hard work towards you in vain. I could have gone somewhere else. And now you're turning away. You've been brought to God, not through rituals, but through a relationship with the one and only son of God. Sam Hughes, our missionary from, that came to speak last week and spoke on Wednesday night from Ukraine, made this statement Wednesday night. Rules without relationship is rebellion. Rules without relationship is rebellion. It's why people get burnt out in serving God. It's because they are all about the rules and less about the relationship. And really what they're engaging in is all-out rebellion. And that's what was happening here on the scene. There was rebellion. So what about us? How do we observe lifeless rituals? Well, let me just give you a couple real quick. One could be tithing, the principle of tithing. You take an Old Testament principle, you apply it to the New Testament, and and we can have some debate on that if you want to later. Not right now, okay? But you say, hey, I give a tithe. I give my tithe. That's great that you give 10% of all that you have to the Lord. I mean, that is great. It is. I'm not here to bash that. I, I do believe that when we get to the New Testament and we see generosity, we don't need to be bound by 10%. I think we can get far beyond that. And I think there's going to be great joy in that. You say, I don't like that you just shared that. Okay, but listen, here's the example. I come to you and I give you $1,000. I mean, 10 crisp $100 bills, man, those things are nice. And you hold them in your hand and you go, wow, thank you. I don't, deserve this, but you know what? I'm going to, I got to do something here. I'm going to give you a hundred back. I said, well, okay, give me a hundred back. Yeah, I'm going to give you a tithe. I'm going to give you a hundred back. And then you leave with your $900 to go live your life. And then you come back the next week and you say, hey, Brian, remember that thousand dollars you gave me last week? 
Like, yeah, remember I gave you $100 back? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's why I'm here. Okay, what you got? Um, I gave you $100 back. Don't you think you should give me more? Now, if that was a real scenario, what am I going to tell you? Get out of my face, right? I mean, are you crazy? Are you crazy? I gave you $1,000 and you decided to give me $100 back. That's great. But now you're coming back to me expecting more because you gave me a tithe of that. And that's how we treat God. We say, hey, I gave this week. You know what? God's got to bless me. Oh, I got sick, but I tithe. I tithe, Lord. I tithe. I'm a faithful tither, but you allow sickness into my life. Or you allow this heartbreak into my life. Oh, I I made a true sacrifice and, and I gave this and it hurt. And you know what? Indeed, it may have hurt. It may have hurt your wallet. It may have hurt your budget. But we go to God and say, you owe me. That's one way of going to ritual. When God has given you everything. That's not Christ being formed in you. That's you attempting to form Christ or yourself into Christ. That's you attempting to form yourself in Christ. That he would look more like you than you looking more like him. When Christ came and he gave it all, leaving nothing for us to pick up. But also prayer could be one of these. You could say, okay, yeah, uh, giving, I get that. But what about prayer? You say, no, I want God's will. I want to follow God's will. And I've prayed about it and God has not answered my prayer. Whoa, so who's God here? (laughs) The one praying or the one you're praying to? Who's God? Because many times we treat ourselves as if we're God and he is the one who has to hear our prayers and answer them directly. And so uh, we read this illustration in our book that we're going through together as a staff uh, this past week. And imagine you're on a ship and you have a rope and tied to that is a hook. And you take that hook and you cast it and you throw it to the shore. And when it hooks into the shore there, you start pulling. But are you pulling the shore to yourself or are you pulling yourself to the shore? We know it. We're pulling ourselves to the shore. And that's what we do when we pray. You're pulling yourself to God. You're trusting in God. What you may be praying and what you think you need is not really what you need. But as you keep praying, God begins to change that heart to where you see what you really need. And when it's all said and done, you're closer to God. See, we get that mixed up. That's how we go about rituals. That's how we say, you know what? I prayed about it. I gave and he didn't do anything. You're missing it. You're missing it. Because he's already given you everything. Up front. No other relationship is like that. I give you everything up front. No other relationship is like that. And then he says, I may have labored over you in vain. He says, I have this terrifying phobia, this intense concern when I'm not with you, that I may have labored in vain. What are your phobias? Spiders, snakes, snakes on a plane, heights, bridges, bridges over water, clowns. Why are they coming back with it? I don't know, but what are your phobias? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Paul was afraid of this. The people that he loves and cares for deeply are turning to something other than Christ. Does this keep you up at night? Does this keep you up at night? Does this draw you to your knees? That there are people around you who are drawn to something other than Christ. This is not a game that we are playing here. 
It's eternal life. And Paul displayed an urgency to extend the gospel to the world. He labored in this effort. Christianity didn't just fit into his life, all neat and tidy and packaged and gift wrapped. No, it was his life. It was his life. Better said, Christ doesn't just fit into our lives. Christ is our life. Christ was being formed in him. And this is his desire for the Galatians. And this is the desire for today. Is Christ being formed in you today? For Paul, the gospel became his life's mission. It wasn't just a Sunday mission or a Wednesday night mission or a 10-minute devotional each day type of mission. All of those things are great. But it wasn't limited to that. But it was a 24-7, 365 lifetime mission. The gospel. So what's your life's mission? What are you dreaming about? What are you hoping for? Is, that, is it that Christ is being formed in you? Is that what you are hoping for every day, that more of Christ is being formed in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, which then leads you to want to see Christ formed in others? Is that what you're praying about? Is that what you're hoping about every day? The first step in this is that Christ is being formed in us as we move beyond our former days. And that's my prayer for you right now. So we go into prayers that you will move beyond your former days as you look to Christ. If you do not know Jesus, you can check on that card. I want to know more about following Christ. We would love to follow up with you on that. But if you'd like to talk with us today, we'd, we'd love that even more. When we're standing up here with our other pastors, you come, you talk with us. But if you want to know more about following Christ, it's to repent of your sins and trust what he did for you on the cross. He gave everything. He gave everything so that you may know God, that be known by him, and that your life's mission would be all about God, Christ being formed in you. Church, I pray this is your desire. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the people in this room. I pray for the ones who are in their former way of life. There's never been a, a new day for them in Christ Jesus. I pray that today they would repent and trust in Christ and find their greatest joy and fulfillment in him, him being the gift. Bring salvation today, Lord. I pray for the church represented in this room today, that as we look upon, back on our former way of life, our former days, that we don't go back there, whether it's heathenism or whether it's legalism. Father, that we trust fully in you and your love and your grace towards us. And that propels us to go forth and want to see the same in other people. May we be people who share the gospel this week to be on mission because this is what our life is all about. God, work mightily in these efforts for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.